Hello, all of our as long as I'm living family. I know that today might be really hard for some of you because it's Valentine's Day and you're missing your partners and you're missing the people that maybe you love the most. And we just wanted to let you know that we are so sorry for your loss. And we also wanted to promise that this next 40 minutes will have absolutely nothing to do with love and Valentine's Day. We're talking about puppy love and we're referring to actually loving our puppies and our kitties. So we hope that you enjoy this little mental break and we're sending just a lot of gentle, kind thoughts today. This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. The death of my son, moving three times in six months, my parents' divorce, my husband's job loss. I was, you know, 12 weeks postpartum, my then husband, came out to me as transgender. And just a couple weeks later, um, our son suddenly died. Why is it that Rosie is that important? I have a theory. I think it's because she doesn't talk. (laughs) Did you do your eyebrows? They look good. I did, I tweezed my eyebrows. You know, the craziest thing happened on Sunday. I was like, it was Sunday evening, which is like my normal grooming time, but I haven't been participating in grooming time since Aiden died, so. And very one eyebrow. And I, Sunday night, I felt inspired to groom. So I took off my nail polish. I tweezed my eyebrows. I shaved, no, I didn't shave my legs, but I did that. I did that. That was two things I did. I, 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 I might have done like washing my face. Wow. I also discovered this new thing, which I feel like I'm such, I feel sometimes like I didn't get like a proper education when it comes to like being like a girl. Cause I went to, um, I went to like a private school with all girls. And I just think that because like, we just, they didn't have boys in the school. Like we didn't have to worry about all this stuff, you know, like we would show up like a mess every day. Mm-hmm. And I just discovered, and I'd always wondered why everyone just seemed to have such like shiny, pretty hair. And like their hair was always like so nice. And I discovered that if you blow dry it, your hair will be nice and shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Feels so stupid to say, but recently I've been blow drying my hair. Cause I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. All this time, the secret to having nice shiny hair was blow drying it. I can handle 10 minutes of that. You didn't? Oh, my God. I mean, I have blow-dried my hair in the no, past. No, I know, I, like, I know. That's just but crazy. I didn't realize that everyone else was blow-drying their hair. I thought everyone else had shiny, nice hair, and I didn't know why I didn't. But now I know the truth, which is that everybody blow-dries their hair. But I will me. say, I am not blow-drying my hair, but I also That's don't not have true. hair. I have seen your hair when you put curls in it. Like, you do do your hair. Well, yeah, I have dates. I have to go on dates. Okay, but so you I, do I your hair and then you, but like there'll be days where I'll see you, your hair will look nice because you did it a couple of days ago and it still looks nice. Sure. Okay. Fine. Fine. Now it, it doesn't. Right now. No, it does not look good right now. But if I weren't having to go out on dates, I would literally never do my hair. I did not do my hair for, I don't think I touched, I haven't, I still have not touched a blow dryer in five years but I occasionally well let me tell you something Lena if you want your hair to be shiny you just do it for 10 minutes and like works like a charm <laughs> I, I can't get over it. I didn't know that but anyway okay that's a side I am exhausted this morning with such 
emotionally exhausting experience for me. I went to the pediatrician to meet the new pediatrician and the pediatrician's office was a bunch of bitches, but not because they were women. They were just like a bunch of like horribly uncompassionate, just like pieces of shit. And um, <laughs> I think that's their formal title. <laughs> and the, but the pediatrician was really lovely and she really, she lost a child herself. So that makes me feel like she understands. I know she understands. I could tell by the way she was talking to me, she understands, but I definitely had a panic attack in the waiting room. I hated seeing all those families. I hated seeing the couples that brought their newborns. And this one dad was like staring at his newborn in the little car seat and it was just really hard for me to see all those people who were so like blissfully naive and like all the moms walking in with their kids, like just very nonchalant. They were so nonchalant about the whole thing. Yeah. And um, it just, it was really hard to be back in a pediatrician's office. And I don't think I fully anticipated how hard it was. I knew I was going to need a good pediatrician, but I didn't think I was going to need, I didn't think it was going to hit me so hard to be in an office like that. You didn't, you didn't think you were going to be so triggered by just being in that space. I was triggered by being in that space. I was like, I'm going to a new office, you know, and I don't know anyone here and, you know, but it was really bad. I mean, I was, like I told you earlier, I was crying on the floor of the room, like the pediatrician's room. She found me on the floor crying. So it didn't go well. I wouldn't say <laughs> I, like, I don't think I like showed her my ability to parent. <laughs> But she seemed to really understand what it was like. And actually, she gave me really good advice. I actually would give this advice to people that if you are going to be put in a situation where you are going to be triggered, like going to the delivery room, like if you had a stillbirth or going to the OBGYN's office or um, going to your 20-week ultrasound, like at the MFM or wherever you're going, or if you're going to be triggered because, I don't know, maybe you have to go to the hospital where your parent died or whatever it is, and you need to do it. My recommendation would be to go at a time when the pressure is low and just sit in the waiting room. This is what the doctors told me. Like it was, it was really good advice. She said, cause you're going to have a panic attack when you go into these spaces. It's just, you're not, it's impossible for you not to, but it's better to have the panic attack, not at a time where you need to be interacting with the doctor in a way that like, articulates your needs it's better to have panic attack not when you're you know like about to find out the viability of your child like there, there are, there's like you can separate the two you can separate the stressful event that is going to be stressful because you need the information or you need to talk about something that's uncomfortable and the panic attack they don't have to be combined so they can be like a panic attack and the panic attack itself so she told me that what she lost her son in the hospital she told me that she went with her husband and just sat in the waiting room before she delivered her second son just to like have a panic attack early, and be done with it. Get it early yeah like preventative it's like prophylactic panic attacks i actually don't <laughs> think it's a bad idea i actually think it's a really good idea <laughs> And I would recommend it. So yeah, that's my advice to you. Cause yourself a panic attack, but do it in a low stakes situation. Cause she's like, you don't want to be coming here with a newborn on no sleep, like already emotional, like a million questions on your mind and having the panic attack then. So yeah. So this morning I checked off panic attack at pediatricians on my list. Great. That is done. Love it. It was horrific. The office was horrible. I hate those stupid people. I might even write a review. You should. But the pediatrician was great. I'll write that. I'll be like, the pediatrician was great, but the front desk office really lacks compassion. Love it. I think you should do that. Anyway, that was my day. I'm really tired. And then I had to come back and go to work, which sucks. And people were asking me stupid questions. 
Work is really challenging sometimes because it just feels so neither Judith or I are are doctors. We're not saving lives. Like it really feels ridiculous to put any energy toward the stupid shit that we do for work. It feels just absolutely ridiculous. Ugh, I can't. Okay. We have, we have a topic today that this was not on our list of topics, but something came up when Judith and I were recording our episode actually that came out two weeks ago. The episode is called Peeking Out of the Hole. So if you want to hear the whole context for what we're about to talk about, go back and listen to that episode. But I will insert a clip um, of what we're talking about. So basically we had a conversation where we were thinking about how we, I mean, Judith is pregnant with a new baby right now. I'm hoping to eventually have more children. Both of us are hoping that the rest of our children outlive us. And that means that we'll have so many more years with them than we got with Aiden and with Quinn. And we were wondering, you know, thinking, will it feel once we have living children who are older, will what we had, the love we have for Aiden and for Quinn feel like it was just like puppy love, like compared to like, you know, a real true love because it was just kind of the newborn days. So I'm going to put a clip in right here of a little bit of the context. Right now it feels like I know Aiden so much better than I know this baby. And it's hard to feel like at some point my knowledge of him you know, my knowledge of her, I'm going to feel so much closer to her. I'm going to be able to be such like so much more involved parent. I'm supposed to, I'm going to be able to just love on her in a more practical way. I'm going to be able to have such a stronger relationship with her. And it's hard to feel like right now, I feel like what I have with Adam is so special, but, and maybe, and I'm sure it is, but in the grand scheme of things, I think I'm going to feel like I barely even knew him. I feel that way too. I'm actually feeling emotional right now because that's a thought I've had too. Like, I'm hoping that the rest of my kids will, you know, outlive me. Right. And so I'll get all these additional years with them that I didn't yeah. get with Quinn. You know? And so the idea of... There's going to be another baby that, that you yeah. know so well. Yeah. And it's going to be like, was that love I had? It's kind of like, it reminds me of like the love that you had for your first boyfriend when you were 16. <laughs> and then you're like married and you like have a real yeah. like 10 year relationship and you're like... <laughs> Oh, that love? That was just like <laughs> infatuation puppy love. Yeah. I don't know. This is another thing we're going to have to ask people who have living children and deceased children. Like, is this love we feel? Is this puppy love or is this real love? We don't really know. We don't know. We just, this if is all we have. If it's puppy love and you have this new baby and it's puppy love, please don't tell me. I will not tell you. <laughs> I promise not to tell you. But I, Or maybe the answer is it's different love. It's just different love. There's something so magical about puppy love. Lena, you never fight with your first boyfriend. You, like, <laughs> you, like, there's something special about that. Yeah. Judith, you had yeah. some thoughts about this that I would love for you to share. Because I feel like what you, you had such a wise thought and I would love to hear you okay I had the shot in the that I had the shot in the shower I had this thought in the shower I had this thought in the shower which I get all my good thinking done about this idea of puppy love and this conversation kind of reminded me of a conversation I had with my therapist when I was saying that I feel like all of the you know sleepless nights and the circumcisions and the doctor's appointments and the vaccines that I gave Aiden were such a waste of time because he didn't need any of them. And um, 
I was talking to her about that. And she said, well, why don't you think about it from Aiden's perspective? So I was thinking about what puppy love or what we are questioning as puppy love felt like for our children. And that really made me change my mind about puppy love because I think the thing about it is that it's so pure and it's just so wholesome and it's so uncomplicated. And to be on the receiving end of such unconditional and pure just intentional love with absolutely no complications must feel so good for them. Like they're, they lived a life where all the only love that they knew was like this little spark of love. And now that they're gone, the love that they know is so uncomplicated. It's not, you know, there was no, it's not like our children and we fought it's not like we fought with them and we had to like overcome difficult things in our relationships. The only thing that they know is pure love, just sweet, unconditional love. Yeah. And I think about you and I both, Judith and I both have a strong sense of our sons being somewhere and us still having a connection with them. And I think, you know, for me thinking about all of the love that I still pour into Quinn, even though he's not here, like what a lucky human being he is to, to get that love. Like it's, there's like Judith was saying, it's so pure there. We have literally zero expectation of anything in return. There's nothing yes. in return. We're getting nothing from this relationship. Quinn would be, I mean, Aiden would be like, yeah, remember I sent you that dolphin once? <laughs> you got a dolphin, mom. But I think that that's true. Yeah, they're not getting anything from it. I mean, we're not getting anything from it. We're just giving for the sake of giving. That's and right. that's the highest form of love that you can give. Selfless so love. It's, it's completely unconditional, selfless love. It's one of the, I think it's honestly the only thing I can think of that, that is like that loving someone who's dead is so pure and loving a baby who's dead, who had no opportunity to disappoint you. No offense to everybody else in my life, but each person has disappointed me in some way, or we have some kind of little, you know, complicated thing, or we got in a fight one time, you know, like there was nothing with him. He was just my, my beloved newborn child. There was nothing, there's nothing tinging this. There's nothing. I've been having like some, um, I've been having some I don't know how to put this. My my parents and I have been having our We're not needs. seeing eye to eye. We're not seeing eye to eye. How about that? We're not seeing eye to eye. And I never, ever, ever doubt that my parents love me. I know how much that they do love me. But there are times it's complicated. Like it's a t- there are times where I can tell that I am hurting them mm-hmm. or that I'm causing them more strife or stress or anxiety or like my, my needs are in competition with their needs. You know, like I can tell, and I'm not saying that that love is unconditional, but I wouldn't call it necessarily pure, but it's complicated. Like we're adults now. We have competing needs, competing interests. And with Aiden, it's never going to be that way. It will always be that my love for him goes one direction. It will always be that I will show up for him you know I will always give him the love that he needs and deserves it will never be complicated never and and you know from our side all we get in return for loving our sons is pain right okay some people would disagree though some people would say that there's a lot of growth that comes with it Sure. There's growth, but we don't get love in return. We get, pain. we don't get love in return. Not, never mind even love. Like I would say my parents would say that some, they would say that they get companionship. 
pride, pride, companionship. They get, you know, like I, I think I offer them in return, right. not as much as they've given me. I don't want to call it same, but I would definitely say that I bring a lot of joy into their life. And right. I know that they feel fulfilled by me having children, me meeting the goals, you know, that they invested so much into my education. And I think seeing me be successful makes them feel like they did a good job. Like they're getting a lot of satisfaction out of being my parents. Right. I think it's perfect. I'm not, you know, I think I want, I think they are not ecstatic with me right this minute, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly think that they get out of this relationship in a way that I will never get out of my relationship with my son. That's right. I've gotten all I can get. That's right. And I think, you know, we're saying all this, like, yes, we get pain out of, we're, we're continuing to love someone who's gone is very painful. Um, but, and we're not getting, you know, the, the things that parents normally get from their children that Judith talks about the pride, the joy, the fulfillment, all of that. We're not getting that, but both of us wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, I would obviously change that he were alive, yeah, but, I wouldn't, but, alive. I wouldn't, <laughs> but, but I wouldn't, but I wouldn't give up the, the opportunity to have no, that you're a better parent because you had and lost Quinn. So do you think we're, we're going to be better parents? I, I absolutely think I will be a better parent. Okay. So yeah. someone say you're getting that. So but hang I, on, hang on. Let me say, I think I will be a different parent to future children than I was to Quinn. I think I was the right parent for him, but I also think that I, I do think I will be a better parent to, to other children. I think I have more compassion. I think I have more empathy. I think I'm better at sitting with bad feelings. I also think I have more understanding for people when they're struggling, which is obviously a good quality to have in a parent because kids struggle. Right. So there are those who would say, wait, you're not getting nothing from your love from Queen. You're getting you're a better parent. Would you agree? Disagree? What would you say? I think anything could could make me a better or worse parent. I don't know that that's, I guess, isn't that something my kids or my, the rest of my kids are going to get out of it? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like it's a very cheap plastic consolation prize. I'm yeah. <laughs> so here's another thing. Here's another thing too. Like, I think both of us kind of feel like because we only knew our sons as newborns and you're in that like hormonal haze where it's like, yeah. Like, is the love, we don't know. And please listeners, like, don't tell us if this is not an answer we want to hear, but like, is the love you have for a two month old baby as powerful as the love that you have for your 10 year olds? And I think to that, to that, I would say like, you've all heard stories about like mothers who their child is trapped under a car and they like, you know, get superhuman strength and like lift a car up and like grab their baby and somehow oh. save their baby with like some miraculous strength that came out of nowhere, but love that just poured out of them through love. And I, I, you know, in EMDR, which is my trauma processing, I had a session one time where I was feeling really like, jittery. Like I had all of this energy. Like I was like, so like amped up. And I realized that what I, what I was feeling, I think was the adrenaline and the, the energy of a mother whose baby was under a car. Right. Like I, I, in this superhuman, exactly. I was feeling super, a love for my child who's gone a love for my child who, you know, my lizard brain was aware he was in danger and that he's dead. 
I was feeling something so strong that I genuinely think I could have lifted a car off of him in that moment, had he been alive and under a car in front of me, like that's how I felt. And so I think, uh, obviously, like, I think love changes, love for your children changes over time. But I think that the magnitude is probably the same, but it just changes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions, but I, I don't know the answer to these questions. I guess I just think that this love, it's like special and it's powerful yeah. and it's pure and it's like so selfless and kind and generous and it's like I would want to be loved like they're loved. That's right. I can't imagine a better feeling in the world than being loved just like they are. Yeah. And I don't think that any parent, I don't think the parents with alive children know. I, I don't think that they can give it in the same way. How about that? I agree. I agree. I I yeah, agree. because they're getting, they're getting in return. That's you right. know, there's, they're getting in return. Maybe if you're parenting a child that has like a severe disease where they're unresponsive or, you know, you're, you're their caregiver. And so maybe in that case, they can understand that it's just pure selfless love. But in that, you know, I think unless you're in one of those situations, if you have a healthy child, I just don't think it's possible to give so selflessly. You, you don't even know what it would feel like. So, yeah. So I guess that was my feeling about love. Part two. Yeah. Which actually we were trying to figure out what we were talking about, what we want to talk about. And you said, well, what should, that was just like part of the conversation. What do you want to talk about for today's episode? And I said, I think we should talk about puppy love and talk about how much we love our puppies. Except you have cats. That's okay. I call them puppies too. <laughs> yeah. We could, we could do another play on the word puppy love and talk about um, pets. Our which puppers. Having Rosie is the first pet I've ever had in my entire life. So oh, really? Yeah, I didn't, we did not grow up with pets. Huh. So what made you and your husband decide to get a dog? It was COVID. Oh, wait, Rosie's a COVID dog? I did not know that. We got her in May of 2020. Aww. It was COVID. It was like lonely and boring and it just was a mess. And so we got, we got Rosie and I truly don't think I knew what I was getting myself into. Like, I didn't really understand. I didn't understand like what it means to have a dog. Now I know why people have dogs, but I didn't know back then. Yeah. And she, you know, came into your life at a time. She, she didn't, you, neither of you knew that she was going to be such an important part of your grief process after losing your child. Thank goodness for Rosie. But like, I want to talk to our um, our community here about why I feel like pets are so important and integral to my healing. Like yeah. why is it that Rosie is that important? Yeah. I have a theory. I think it's cause she doesn't talk. <laughs> I think that's what I think it is. I think that Rosie is good. Like, because she's, she's quiet, but she's company. So you don't feel like you're alone and you don't feel like you're alone in this world but you don't have to deal with her competing needs, her competing desires, her competing wants. I mean, aside from her basic need to go out of the house and go to the bathroom, like Rosie is uncomplicated. Yeah. She's not selfish about, you know, she's not selfish. She doesn't have her own priorities. She doesn't have her own agenda. All she, it's like having someone there for you who is purely there for you without any self-interest. Different kind of pure love. But it definitely feels to me, like, I don't think she particularly likes being a therapy dog. I don't think she like, is getting a lot of satisfaction out of it, but, um, but she's like, I like that. 
I like that it's she's flexible. She's malleable. Like depending on my needs for the day, she can meet them. If I need, yeah. you know, company to going for a walk, she's available for a walk. If I need to lie on the couch and cry, she's available for that too. When you're dealing she's with available, other, she can clear the time in her schedule. Yeah. When, when you're dealing with other humans, it's hard to get exactly what you need from them mm-hmm. without their own competing needs. So yeah. that's why I think, but you don't, your cats don't go on walks with you. So my cats do not go on walks. So before I start talking about my cats, I just want to acknowledge. So these cats, you know, Kaylee and I got them together when we were engaged. Um, and so these were shared pets of ours and she very generously, um, at the time of our separation said that, that they should stay with me. Um, and Which I, I think is honestly like the most generous and kind thing that Kaylee has ever done. It was extremely generous. And I think, I think honestly, like, I think it's a couple of things. I think she cares about me. I think she cares about them and she knows that I'm going to give them like a really good home. I think she also, neither of us wanted to separate them. So it was kind of like one of us because they're brothers, they're from the same litter. And so one of us was going to have to take them. And I think, I don't know. I just, I'm just really grateful to her that, that I still have them. Um, so anyway, all this to say, you know, Kaylee, if you're listening, thank you. I've told you that before, but thank you. Um, so for me, so I have two cats, I have two cats and each of them has kind of a different vibe and a different energy. My one cat, Miguel, he is like, so I call him an extrovert because he literally could spend every minute of the day, like getting attention from me. And he'd be so happy. Like he wants to be asleep on my body. He wants to be like, if I'm in the bathroom, he's in the bathroom. If I'm in bed, he's in bed. Like he's like all over me. And there's something like Judith was saying, there's something so comforting about having just a presence with you. Like you're not alone. And I, oh my gosh. And to the, to the point where Miguel meeting on my, like my legs and my belly, like to prepare a spot for himself to sit down that sensation, like that experience of him meeting on me is actually like a tool I use in my trauma processing therapy to, to lower my heart rate and get myself back to baseline. Like it's so healing to me that like, that is how healing it is that my therapist like coaches me through imagining Miguel meeting on my legs or my belly. And he's just like, he's always there. And I just don't feel that lonely because he's always there. And then my other cat, the first thing that comes to mind, well, first of all, he's like bigger, he's fluffy, he's so soft. And when you're hugging him, he like really leans into it. And there's something so nice about someone who's just so, he really like melts into me. And he also is the exact same weight that Quinn was when he died. And I cradle him like a little baby sometimes and I'll carry him on my hip like a little baby and there's something even just for five seconds that feels so good about carrying a 14 pound creature on my hip or in my arms I just love it I think it's very tactile like yes it's tactile it feels good you're you're just saying like you're touching them and the reminder that you're here not in the ether feel your brain is the reminder that you're here in a way that someone with their own some like another human you can't just like sit there and like touch their legs <laughs> you can't yeah you can't just you can't like they they are the own person yes. and they might not want that 
And it's so, also like, because they're like an animal, like I, there's just something they're, they're there as you're saying, like they're yeah. just there with that, without their own agenda. And like, yeah. it's, like you're saying very tactile, it's a full, all your senses, like they're purring and they have a nice smell yes. and like, yes. they, but they feel nice to the touch. Yes. The yes. weight of them on my lap is so comforting yes. and grounding. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. And I know that my husband feels when he goes to the dog park, which we go every day. And after Aiden died, we went every day religiously at five o'clock and went to the dog park. Some days it was the only thing I did. And it was the only time I left the house. For us, it's like very meditative to leave the house and just like watch animals run around. And I'm not a dog person. I'm not a cat person. I'm not an animal person. I'm not a pet person. I love my dog. Your cats are lovely, but I am not like the type of person like gets excited every time I see a dog. Um, but there's something about like nature. I want to say like it's a nature thing. Like there's something very, obviously I could say animalistic, just primal, just primal about being with pets and like being with animals, watching animals play is very primal. They're doing something that's their instinct. They're following their instinct. They just, their needs are much more concrete and immediate. It's not, and it reminds me, and I think, you know, being at the park with lots of dogs just makes, it's a reminder that um, I'm an animal too. And like some of my needs are just to walk, eat, go outside, you know, like some of, it's so easy when you're in your head all the time and your brain is floating around, so easy to get lost. But watching just, I think watching dogs run around to me is as comforting as watching the ocean it's just a reminder of like the basic principles of life like yes this is consistent a dog will be we a breathe. dog we breathe we breathe we look, do- around. We, we look around we smell like a dog is not going to be it's not going to become a parrot it's you know <laughs> i don't i don't know if that made any sense but i think there's like there's a consistency there of watching something do what it was meant to do what that just, mean water come from a waterfall or waves go in and out it's like a repetitive do what it's supposed to do feeling and it's very simple very simple which is perfect because my brains only can do brain, simple things. so yeah so the last thing about having my cats that i'll say is that something that feels really good to me i mentioned carrying tulio on my hip but I, it feels really good to still have creatures to mother. Um, I was always a very involved cat parent. Like they were very much a part of my day always, but now, you know, I am meant to have a 17 month old baby. So having, you know, someone in my home that I can mother and that I talk to is, is so important. Like I, I hear the tone of voice that I use with my cats And I, and sometimes I'll even say like little phrases, little snippets, and I will hear exactly how I sounded when I was talking to Quinn. And there's something so comforting about that. Like, I'll say like, oh, are you tired? You're going to go for a nap. And it's like, it's something exactly that I would have said to Quinn. And it feels just really good to just still say that stuff to somebody. It does feel really good. What about the idea that it feels good to give in a simple way? Like, I think it feels good to give to meet someone's need there were so many months where I just felt like I couldn't meet anyone's needs but like my dog her needs were so obvious and simple like I can give you a treat like I am capable of that I can't do anything else for anyone else but I can give a treat yeah I mean that's that felt really good yeah at the time 
And also, I think I felt there were times in this last year that I felt kind of like worthless. Like I was just like a shell of a human who was doing nothing. And like my cats didn't care. Yeah. They were so yeah. happy. They to never just be judged lying me. On the sofa. They were never judgmental. If anything, they yes. were happier that I was lying around. All yes. Oh my God. I 100% agree. I feel like I judged myself a lot about how much time I was spending in bed, but my dog never judged me. Never. <laughs> this is just a tool in a toolbox. Yeah. This is not the solution to grief. This is just a tool. No, that's true. And I'm, and like I said, like, I think that my cats are, are a very critical tool for yeah. my wellness. Like they're, they're extremely important to my everyday mental health, but they're not like the only tool I have, but I do definitely think that they are crucial to how I'm doing right now. Yeah. I rely on them a lot. <laughs> because they're good and you need them. Yeah. I rely on my dog too a lot. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I have to say about my puppy. Puppy love. Puppy love. Puppy love. I I don't know. I wish that Rosie had fallen in love more with Aiden when he was alive. Like I think that she was like first of all, I don't think she was like ecstatic about his crying. <laughs> I don't think she loved that he was crying a lot. And I don't think she loved that she was getting less attention from us. Yeah. Um, but I know that they would have like been best friends. And it makes me sad that the whole thing makes me sad. It makes me sad that she doesn't grieve him like I do. Mm-hmm. It makes me sad that she was there and didn't do anything. Like, And she's just a dog. So I can't. This is a grieving mother speaking, not someone being logical. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was just saying like, I, that my cats are like always in the bed with me. They like follow me around. And I remember the first time that they slept in the bed with me after Quinn died was really hard because they used to sleep in the bed all the time. And then Quinn was born and he was crying in our room. So they like gave up on sleeping in the bed and like went and slept in somewhere else. And then Mm -hmm. once they, once they realized that the baby, the screaming thing was gone, we can sleep in the bed again. It was like, oof ouch and obviously I was happy to have them there but it was like even they have recognized that something's different now that's sad yeah I don't think we're gonna talk about our pets for that long but but I I know I don't know they're they have we have a lot to I'm also like in a funny mood because I'm so I'm I'm just you're still coming down from the pediatrician I'm still coming down from it but yeah I do love my dog which is not here by the way she I don't know where she is I need to go find her. Yeah. I'm going to go hug my cats. Okay. Now I have to go after this. I've been debating, like, should I go for a walk? So nice outside or should I, or should I rest? Or should I work? I have so much work to do. What do you think I should do? I think you should go outside. I should go for a walk. A simple walk. A simple walk. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm really tired. I'm going to go for a walk. I promise. To all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at aslongasimlivingpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at aslongasimlivingpodcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay!
good girl today. You were a good girl. Oh, hey. Hey, slow down. Rosie, uh-uh. You're going too strong for me. Wait. You're doing too strong. Oh, you're so barking today. 